Galactic Holonet. Welcome to the Scum and Villainy podcast interview series. We are here with the one and the only Alex Davey. Alex, what's going on, man? A long, awkward pause. That's yeah. <laughs> uh, not too much. You know, X-Wing's keeping me busy. Happy to be here chatting with you guys, though. A lot of stuff's going on. I'm sure we'll talk about all of it. No joke, man. Um, Alex Davey, for those of you who aren't, you know, obviously aware and listen to the podcast, uh, is the lead designer of X-Wing. So that's a pretty cool title. Yeah, not too shabby, right? So it's a little, little, just a little game. Yeah, it's it's doing all right. This <laughs> this, this weird sci-fi universe called Star Wars. No one's maybe no one's heard of it. So, Alex, this is your second time on the show. Welcome back, I should say. Yeah, yeah, it's good to be back. And joining us today is uh, Sable Griffin, otherwise known as Mark Fletcher, and uh, the robots back theorist Jeff Jeff Jones. What's going on, guys? Uh, doing doing well. quite well. Excited to be back. Yes. All right. So, Alex. You and I uh, talked about doing this interview in Easter, man, in Easter. What was that, like four months ago? Has it really been that long? Yeah. (laughs) So I was up in Minnesota doing a tournament for a buddy of mine's bachelor party, and we were talking about doing doing a show and – and you said, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe we'll just wait a little bit, right? And I'm like, uh, you know, reading between the lines, maybe something awesome is going to come out, right? And then we just were talking about doing it in, I believe, in August, right? I'm like, all right, or July or August. And you're like, uh, maybe let's just wait a little bit, right? And I was like, right, why don't we just give it a couple weeks? Yes. So obviously, I had my reasons for that. So, uh, yeah, man. Boom, Force Friday, new core set, uh, Force Awakens stuff. Lots, lots uh, on the horizon for X-Wing. So we've got Wave 7 that just came out, or more or less just came out. Pretty much a couple weeks ago, it finally hit retailers. We got the surprise like, Christmas present of a new core set with new Star Wars ships and all of that. And we have Wave 8. Like We have an absolute ton to talk about like i have a plethora uh I've, if i've got just this pile of x-wing stuff that i just need to think about i don't even know how you like and i know that you've obviously got uh, new waves coming in but i don't even know how you manage all of that well it is uh, it's no easy feat i can tell you that but uh, luckily we've got a huge team at fantasy flight that contributes a lot to all of these projects and, and keeps them rolling out the door particularly the new core set that was um that was a real dogpile effort. That was just, you know, probably a, a dozen different staffers tasked, like art, graphic design, rules writing, game design and development, the whole kit and caboodle, uh, marketing to to get that out at the speed at which we got it out. It was, it was kind of a Herculean effort, but um, one that I think was well worth doing because I, I'm really proud of everybody's contributions and happy with the way that turned out. Great. So I guess the first question then would be this year with the release of Scum and Villainy, you seem to have waged war on our wallets. Is this <laughs> a big corporate intensify wallet firepower? <laughs> That's so- <laughs> well, I mean, uh, you know, we're, we're never going to turn your dollars uh, away, but I think a lot of it has to do with just ironing out kinks in the manufacturing schedule. Uh, Wave 6, of course, came out a little bit later than we wanted it to. 
but wave seven was more or less on time. So, and, and wave eight, if, if, uh, things hold true, might actually, we might actually hit our release date for that. So <laughs> what <laughs> I know, what? Well, I, I think I finally started to, um, to, to start being able to keep pace with the way that this game is growing. Uh, it's still growing every day, but, um, you know, our, our factories have a lot of experience now and have the manpower and the resources. Hopefully, hopefully the really long delays and, and uh, setbacks between waves are uh, more or less a thing of the past. This is a, a really crazy year. I mean, like three, three weeks and a new core set at the very least, plus probably the Gazanti and the Raider. I mean, it's just, it's probably... It may end up being the biggest year for X-Wing ever, although who knows what the future holds. How uh, cool is it to – I mean, I know that we don't like to talk about necessarily – we don't know who sells more, what of what miniatures, where, why. But how cool is it to be designing one of the most popular you know, tabletop games that's out there right now? Oh, it's extraordinarily cool. I, I never – I mean, I never thought that I would be in this position, and I can only – be thankful for the opportunity. Um, one of the coolest things about it is what a worldwide phenomenon it is. I'll, I'll get messages and, and friend requests and have conversations with people from like Malaysia to Australia to Germany, you know, like, uh, and, and as a, as a kind of a world traveler and someone who's really interested in all kinds of different cultures, it's really fun to see how very simple, you know, fast paced little skirmish game bridges all those gaps so yeah, I think the uh, the kind of the global success and the phenomenon of this game is just a, it's a thrill to be a part of that, and it makes going to work every day really fun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, brings up, that brings up an interesting question: Have you encountered issues with translation changing how the mechanics work? Of course, you'd want to keep things consistent, but sometimes language where we have it very regimented in English, might have issues in other languages. I am super impressed by our translators. Uh, they do a phenomenal, phenomenal job. And it's, it's amazing. They are, they are experts at the mechanics of the game. When we finalize a wave or whatever, it goes out to international partners for translation. And I'm sure there are a few errors here and there, but by and large, they really understand mechanically how it works. And if they don't, they'll send Frank or I a question and get it sorted out. But one of the curious things is, of course, words are different lengths in different languages. And, and sometimes you've got to, you know, for German, for example, stuff tends to be pretty long. So some of the, I know that some of the pilot names will change a little bit. And some of the Star Wars characters' names are different in different countries as well. Like, uh, I believe in, in France, C-3PO is uh, Z-3PO or Z-3PO or something like that. And um, I think in German, Darth Vader is like Dark Vater, which means like Dark Father, which probably blew the uh, the big twist in Empire Strikes Back <laughs> a little bit. A little bit of a giveaway there. So there's a, there's a few little quirks, but like, large, they're extraordinarily talented bunch of people and they really understand the game and and that's i think one of the reasons why the like french the spanish the german the whatever communities are thriving is because they do have really accurate high quality translations that they don't fudge up the uh the game mechanics at all i have a couple of questions for you alex about the sure. new episode seven merchandise that's come out yeah man we're so stoked for that yeah one thing i noticed in the new tournament rules is as of january 1st of next year it will be required to use the damage deck out of the episode seven starter. Yes. 
That is correct. Uh, obviously, it won't affect casual play. You can use whatever deck you have or prefer. Um, and I don't think we're going to be super strict with like uh, casual tournaments and store championships and that kind of thing. But certainly for premier events, uh, we want to get that standardized. And I think the reason so that would- behind that is uh, the the deck improves a lot of things. And um, we don't want to go too long in an era with two different damage decks because that, it gets confusing. People can kind of tailor their list around what deck they're bringing. And that was never really the the intention. So uh, hopefully by, uh, you know, by next year, people will have, uh, we'll, we'll either provide a way or people will figure out a way to, uh, to either get a core set or, you know, pick up a damage deck from a friend or, or that kind of thing. So I don't know exactly what our plans are, but I, uh, I do know that the, the gold standard for, for tournament play exclusively will be the new core sets damage deck. I, I know it's kind of a funny segue to go into this to the the new stuff, but uh, I am actually interested in the design process around the deck. Why did you come up with the uh, – I mean, I, I'm sure I have some of the reasons why, but <clears throat> why don't you tell us why you like uh, – why the idea that you came up with a new deck and maybe what some of the deficiencies were, were of the old deck or just what you wanted out of out of a new damage deck? Sure, yeah. I think it's not something that we would have – changed just for the sake of changing it but frank and i and and james as well everyone who's worked on x-wing has now played the game hundreds of times probably and one of the things that we noticed about the old damage deck was a couple of the crits in there were either absolutely crippling or total dud Mm -hmm. and that was i think never really the intention and it, it could affect the choices you made in squad building or just be an unexpectedly bad blow to receive in the middle of a game that would have otherwise been, you know, in your in your favor. So I've never liked the idea that a crit could be blank for someone and then, uh, you know, a game ruiner for some other list. So when it came time to do the new course set, we realized we had an opportunity to maybe address some of those issues and improve the deck overall. So... Uh, we tossed out munitions failure and injured pilot. Because if you didn't bring a secondary weapon or an elite pilot talent in your list, those crits did nothing. And if you did, they were absolutely devastating. I mean, there's nothing worse than having Darth Vader lose his pilot ability, for which he's paid an enormous premium to an unlucky flip of the card. So we knew those were going out. And so we knew we were going to print a new deck with a new back and a new you know, organization anyway. So we started taking a look at some of the other crits and kind of deciding what was going to stay in and what was going to go out. And a number of the crits were perfectly good in their intention, but in practice a little bit weird. Uh, Blinded Pilot had some very strange interactions if you just followed a strict rules-as-written procedure. Like, if you had a gunner, you could roll zero dice and then, you know, miss, obviously, and then get your attack anyway. So that didn't really represent the, the theme. Or, you know, for example, you could take blinded pilot and fly around for three turns without having anyone in arc and not being able to clear it sort of artificially extending this, you know, blindness. So we realized we could, we could make a couple small wording changes and uh, very easily make those cards, you know, work as originally intended rather than as written. And so we just tinkered a little bit. Uh, We realized that minor explosion was kind of just like a, a lamer direct hit. Mm -hmm. Uh, We thought more exciting to put a, a crit effect in there instead and having thrown out a couple crits we realized there was some opportunity for some new ones so i think by and large it's just a better deck it's an even it's a more even experience there will be very few of those dud cards 
and hopefully just a more balanced uh, deck in general. Yeah, I've enjoyed it when I've been playing with it. It's been pretty good. It's not that different, but it's it's it does take away those rough games where you lose something, you know, critical to your list. You, you won't have that experience anymore. You still will have devastating crits. That's definitely that's the, that's what they're they're criti- it's critical damage though, right? I mean, that's what it's supposed to be. Yeah, absolutely. And there'll still be some corner cases where a crit won't affect uh, a pilot. You know, there's agility zero ships that could get the agility reducer, but by and large, that'll be a much rarer phenomenon. And that was always the intention to just even out even out the deck and make it apply more or less equally to whatever squad is is brought to the to the table. I have a question about the. T seventy X Wing expansion that is coming. Sure. It's been spoiled now. Yeah, that's that's out there. One of the cards in that set is the zero point integrated astromech, the mod that says you can discard your droid to get rid of a damage card, including a crit. Yep. Is that the fix that was intended for the T sixty five X Wing as well? Like well, they, it was they bring it up to bring it up to speed, or is there a little more coming down the line? Well, I can't talk too much about the future. Um, I will say that it is a fix. Uh, notably, and this is interesting, it does not occupy the title slot. The X Wing does not have a title yet. And if you mm-hmm. look at kind of the history of of what we've done in the past, that's that's been a very uh, good area of, of design space for us in terms of bringing ships up to speed. So. I think that the that the uh, integrated asteroid mech is going to be a bit of a sleeper hit. I think people are undervaluing it right now because it doesn't have a lot of doesn't have necessarily the wow factor of the tie advanced fix or that kind of thing. But is it the last improvement that the old T sixty five X wing will ever receive? No, I don't think so. I think okay. uh, when there's an opportunity to do another um, another aces pack or something that allows us to address it directly. We're definitely going to take that opportunity and we'll be able to analyze where it is in, you know, the competitive meta at that point as well. So we'll get to see, we'll get to see it in the wild with the integrated astromech for a while, see how it performs. The other thing to note is that that uh, card applies to both the T-65 and the T-70. So it had to be balanced for both ships. Um, It can't, you know. Well, they're similarly efficient, so it works out that way. Yeah, and that was always the intent, like the, the, uh, the T seventy is is more flexible, more elite, but you you pay for it. You pay the extra squad points, and hopefully they hopefully they come out fairly balanced, fairly well balanced against each other and against the other ships in the game. That's that's always the intention, and and both of those ships have a free title slot if we ever need to give them another nudge. So uh, it was it was a way to address them, uh, address their their deficiencies. Or rather, address the T sixty deficiencies immediately, and leave some design space open for potential future Aces packs and that kind of thing. Yeah, actually, like it helps the E wing too. E wing needed a little bit of a bump, and it got one from that card. Unfortunately, I believe it not? that is X wing only. Is it? Uh, oh, that's yeah, a shame. It's, it's X wing only, but but think about it this way: that means the TLT Y wings don't have access to it either, mm-hmm. which might not. Oh, well, that's not. So, uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> so let's let's talk about like the new hotness, right? Like, so everyone is super duper excited about the fact that that these new Force Awakened ships are out there. Like, this is new Star Wars. This is new canon. It is incredibly. I mean, frankly, it's really freaking cool that that uh, that we've got new Star Wars ships. I don't. I know that you can't go into too de- much detail about 
working with the new movies, obviously you've probably got some sort of NDA. There's probably a red like laser pointed at you <laughs> at all times in case like in case so you, just you, you spill up, right? Yeah, on yeah. Chest. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I don't, I, I understand that, but tell me about it. Like, how cool was it to design some of the new stuff? And what are sort of the design goals for the two new ships? Yeah, I can definitely go into that at least a little bit. I mean, first of all, it was it was an extraordinarily cool experience. You know, like um, Star Wars is is really uh, big right now in sort of the shared cultural consciousness. I think worldwide, and I, uh, I know I'm excited for Episode Seven, which sort of surprised me a little bit because I for a long time the franchise had had lain fallow a little bit. People mm-hmm. would either be you know, nostalgic for the original trilogy or, you know, maybe playing a couple of video games. But, you know, since the, since the prequel trilogies came out and, and, uh, flopped, uh, I think that there was a sense that, um, Star Wars was kind of fallow ground, but everything that I've seen and heard about the new movies has me excited for it again. And I think, you know, I've seen people driving the little BB-8 Sphero toy around the office. I've, I've seen, you know, I've been watching the leaks and spoilers as well, seeing the costumes and the makeup and the ships and all the cool practical effects that they're doing. So for me, I was already jazzed about it. And then when we learned that not only would we have the license to do it in X-Wing and, and in, in uh, hopefully our, our other games as well, but that I was going to be working on it and that it was going to be sort of this top secret high speed product. And it was actually going to come out, you know, in, in September. Uh, it was, it was <laughs> that's, that's crazy. We got to see, we got to see some, some sketches and, and really uh, uh, just, just a little bit of information on these, on these new ships. And that was just, it was extremely exciting to be involved in that, especially since I came in on X-Wing during wave four. So I never actually had a chance to work on any of the film ships. You know, the iconic mm-hmm. ships had already been done very, very well, I might add, by by James Niffen and uh, Jay Little and Corey and, and all the, uh, you know, the original X-Wing crew. And uh, I've gotten to work on some of my own personal favorite ships. You know, the Bounty Hunter ships are definitely the ones that I was, some of the ships I was the most jazzed to design. But that doesn't quite compare to being a part of a brand new phenomenon, which I think is what this episode seven movie is, it's a real, it's going to be a real phenomenon. And it was a a treat to, to be involved in that in, in any way. And so when we were approaching this process, we knew that they were going to be interchangeable. You know, we weren't going to invent a whole new game or a whole new era. And and, uh, so we knew that they were going to be able to be flown side by side with existing ships and cross compatible with all upgrades and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. The the design challenge became, you know, how do we give these ships the sense that they're, you know, 30 years more advanced, but, you know, have them still feel like an X-Wing, still feel like a TIE fighter and be, you know, be balanced, not invalidate, the old X-Wing or the old TIE fighter as a, as a choice just by their existence. So it was sort of like, how many bells and whistles can we add? How many bells and whistles should we add? What new stuff can we introduce to these fighters to make them feel, you know, like the, the logical technological progression of uh, original trilogy ships mm-hmm. without making it seem like, you know, power creep or, or unbalancing the game. And so it was a, it was a delicate balance. But I'm really happy with it. I, I think that there's still every reason to take a lot of the old ships, as well as a lot of really exciting uh, strategies that you can that you can do with the new ones. So, 
uh, you know, it was, it was a pleasure to work with James again, too, because I hadn't really worked with him on X-Wing uh, since Wave 4. He had a lot of great ideas, you know, in his back pocket uh, when, when he came back onto the project. So, If I remember correctly, the last time we uh, spoke with you, you said that your favorite ship was designed by him, uh, the uh, Interceptor, at least at the time it was. Yeah, I love the Interceptor. I love A-Wings. I love those sort of elite um, arc-dodging uh, ships. Of course, now some bounty hunter ships have come out, and you know those are always a fan favorite of mine. I uh, I had all the bounty hunter toys as a kid and that kind of thing. So there might be that interceptor might be facing some competition these days. <laughs> but actually, I've been, I've been really really enjoying the uh, the houndstooth lately because it's um, it's just a flying brick with guns, and it, it's tough and it's just cheap. And I tend to put a lot of ships on the table when I play, and it lets me do that in the scum faction and still have a large ship. But it's tough to pick a favorite. There's a, there's so much content out right now, and you know it, it all it all benefits its own faction in different ways. So I, I think at this point, I might not even be able to choose. I might have to pick a favorite ship per faction. So, speaking of all the ships out there, how much do you hate Target? <laughs> uh, you know, I, <laughs> I don't have any skin in the game, you know. I am a little bit bummed because I was hoping we did such a good job protecting against leaks, I think, internally. And I was really hoping that someone would just walk into Target on Force Friday and be like, holy crap, there's a brand new X-Wing corset. That was the dream. Obviously, that didn't happen. But, you know, two weeks early, that's no big deal. I think uh, I think it was still enough of a surprise that people got really excited about it. Uh, but yeah, was I was I hoping for that midnight holy shit moment? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little bit. Uh, uh, but you know, it's it's funny. Like you you send something out to hundreds and hundreds of retailers, you, you do everything you can to keep it secret. Uh, you follow you know as tight a protocol as you can. But like the more the more hands that that stuff is in, the more uh, inevitable I think something some the leaks become. And I, I know that J.J. Abrams has been struggling with that kind of thing as well. So. That's the world we live in right now, you know, that it's almost impossible to um, to keep something a secret when you've got the Internet, when you've got dedicated fans, when you've got people who are, you know, digging for whatever information they can, especially with something as big as Star Wars is. Like I said, it's a phenomenon. And I'm impressed that they've been able to keep the leaks as limited as they have from the film itself. And that's that's very cool because I think I think spoilers can be fun, but I also think it's really interesting to go into an experience totally fresh. Mm hmm. So of these new ships, uh, what is a card of like the new ones that are just coming out of the uh, Force Awakens uh, ships? What's a card that you think that we really ought to uh, look out for and you think is fun that uh, may not get played or or just one that you just have a lot of fun uh, designing? Sure. I think from the new core set specifically, BB-8 is an incredible astromech. I've been running Poe with BB-8 integrated astromech and push the limit recently and he is not that expensive and he brings a lot of late game power he can reveal a green maneuver barrel roll push the limit to say focus or target lock or whatever and then perform his maneuver clear the stress and if he doesn't collide with something yet perform yet another action so it's a three action x-wing for a very low price and it's a way to guarantee that Poe's going to have that focus token to increase his survivability and his attack potential. I think that card is going to see a lot of play, even on some of the um, the older T-65 aces. I think it would be a great card for Wedge uh, with Push the Limit. I think, it, I think it's going to see a lot of play in general, particularly in that combination. 
So because you've been playing this so much, is that why you changed the fact for you can no longer barrel roll off the edge? <laughs> I will have you know, Mr. Griffin, that I have never once barrel rolled off the edge of the board in all my days of X-Wing. Because no, you changed I- the rules. <laughs> <laughs> because he changed the rules so you couldn't. <laughs> no, I think, I think that was just more of a consistency thing and a a desire not to be overly punitive or harsh because you cannot roll onto an asteroid or or an obstacle without some special ability. It seemed like it would be more in line with that precedent to apply that to the edge of the board as well. Like, you know, I'm going to try to roll. Oops, I can't roll. I can choose a different action set of oops. There goes my 63 point Han solo or whatever, you know, there's a lot of skill to the game and part of the skill is judging distances, but that always felt a little bit harsh to me. And I think when we were really picking the game apart and writing the new rule set, we decided to to clean up and, and bring some of the rules in line with each other and to take a little bit of the edge off of some of the, the harsher rules out there. So <laughs> hopefully people who are, are, you know, used to rolling their ships off the table will breathe a sigh of relief. I have boosted off the table before I've done it. <laughs> I have boosted off the table. I can't claim that I haven't done that. So <laughs> I've never barrel rolled off, but I have boosted off <laughs> by like a millimeter. But still, it was uh, off is off. <laughs> so I want to power through some of the stuff that, that has come out. Let's talk about Wave 7 for a second since we yeah. haven't had a chance to uh, to cover that. Wave 7's got a lot of, of – it seems like there was a very purposeful – design for ordnance and certainly i think that the twin laser turret was a very big uh, you guys had to know that that was going to be a good card um so what was the sort of every single wave has had a, a a theme it seems like or a new mechanic um either turrets or the system slot or cloak or new debris or a new move or maybe even a new slot this one brought slam and uh the the arcs uh, and the 180 degree arc which is so cool what was sort of the goal with wave 7 what did you guys want to bring to the table to like change up the meta etc sure well i think our I, I think one of our main goals was to make ordnance more viable when we finalized the ships that were going to come out in wave seven, we realized we had a really good opportunity for that because we had two, you know, heavy bomber missile user kind of ships. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's no secret that competitively missiles and torpedoes are with a few exceptions in a few corner case situations, not a great choice. If you're trying to, if you're trying to win a, a tournament, particularly a, a big tournament. So extra munitions was, one attempt at bringing them, bringing their costs down and hopefully their viability a little bit up. So that was a major focus. Uh, new bombs, bombs had you know have been around since wave two, but there hadn't really been uh, an opportunity to enrich or explore that mechanic uh, more. Uh, so we knew that with these two, you know, nineteen ninety five dollar uh, blisters. They had more punch. We were going to be able to print some more bomb tokens. We were going to be able to, they all had bomb slots. We we're going to be able to focus on that, invent some new bombs, hopefully new bomb dropping mechanics. Um, so that was one of the major focuses of the wave. And then the other half of the wave was just sort of rounding out the scum faction. You know, the scum are still, they still have some catching up to do. And we had two ships that were going to provide niches for the scum that didn't exist. The Curex is very straightforward, hopefully well-costed, three attack dice ship 
that's relatively durable. So that's an easy, simple one. And then the houndstooth, of course, looking at the model, thinking about how it would probably interact, sort of shuttle-like. And so we tried to give it, we tried to basically make it a super shuttle for the scum, a very efficient jousting style ship that had some dial limitations to keep it balanced. And I think, I think that just broadens the, uh, the type of list that the scum can play and gives them some more flexibility. Uh, they got off to a pretty strong start, but uh, every ship we put in the scum faction helps them catch up to the rebels and imperials a little bit. It helps their uh, their list diversity a great deal. Because exactly. right now it seems like every so often you'll see a, a Z swarm or Brobots, right? And then with yep. these new ships, it, it really kind of helps out. Speaking of, okay, so I have to I have to ask about this because I've talked about this card in almost every single podcast. It gets sure. brought up the Bosk crew card, and specifically yes. <laughs> specifically the Bosk crew card art. What is up <laughs> with that? He is skinning a Wookiee. How did like someone not go? He's, he's skinning something. Oh yeah, he's skinning something. <laughs> he's historically known for hunting Wookies and skinning them. He just so happens that's a deer, right? Or it's a it's yeah. a galactic hairy deer. That's... It's probably like a Minoc or something <laughs> that he peeled off. That you know, uh, like I think I think that 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 can be. Whatever you want it to be, uh, whether that's a Wookiee. Certainly his, uh, his character and his uh, EU history would uh, indicate that, that that could be just about anything. And the traditions <laughs> keep uh, trophy rooms and that, this, that, and the other thing. But, it just yeah, happens to I have a lot of Wookiee pelts in it. <laughs> sort of a grim, uh, creepy uh, piece for him, and I think it turned out pretty well. It is so, so freaking awesome. <laughs> Hold up, hold up. Um, can we add this in the fact uh, to have uh, Gunner and uh, Boss Crew unavailable on the same ship? Because it's a Wookiee. Don't you think that Wookiee would be especially motivated to do his job well if he's on Boss ship? Well, I mean, it's going to die anyways, right? <laughs> it did amuse me that Boss Crew and Gunner, the Wookiee, work so well together. Yeah, they work so well together, too. It's so funny. That is a little bit hilarious. It's it's funny when those interactions crop up, you know, there's a lot of amusement over the Moff Jedra and Emperor Palpatine interaction on a on a decimator. That stuff always cracks me up. It's it's uh it's interesting when a game mechanic kind of influences how you might imagine a, a scene to play out. Uh, and that's that's kind of fun to me. So yeah, the boss gunner thing is pretty amusing. My favorite <laughs> of those interactions is, art-wise is still Han Solo and Lando. Because yes. they're playing the the game for the Falcon, and <laughs> in the lore, Lando is a gambler, and his ability reflects that he's a gambler. He's gambling. Han is cheating, and his ability is cheating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that turned out really well. I think that turned out really well. Lando was fun to design. We definitely wanted to play on the gambler aspect, and it's it's still one of my favorite crew cards because you'll have those games where you're like, yeah, Lando. Playing the odds, giving me a vague city, and then other games. It's like, yeah, Lando's uh, Lando's taking a nap today. You get nothing. So that's pretty fun. So let's talk about uh, one of the uh, the the biggest. I think the biggest impact of the wave uh, so far, at least, has been the the twin laser turret. I like to call it tiny lasers um, because it's just tiny lasers slowly killing you. <laughs> that it's 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 right now taking. The, the meta by storm, right? Every, right now, I think there's a forum post talking about what is the twin laser turret and why you should be scared of it. 
do you think that this is or will reach the height of I, I remember we did uh last time we talked we did talk about uh the phantom and i think we talked about potential nerfs for it at the time or maybe they had just come out i can't remember do you think that it's possible that it'll get to that height or do you think that's just right now it's an efficient card and there there are there are ways around it already uh, it's definitely a great card. I mean, uh, I think if you're going to splash a single turret carrier into your list, it's going to be your go-to turret. And I think if you want a you know twin laser turret spam list, you can you can very easily put a good list like that together. I don't believe it's going to have the same level of uh, negative play experience and frustration as the Phantom did, and I don't believe that it is uh, unbalanced in the way that the Phantom was unbalanced. And and I'll tell you why. There are a lot of counters to it. Mm -hmm. It is obnoxious when you have uh, seemingly no escape from the card, but... Uh, there's a lot of stuff that I think will will do a pretty good job in uh, countering it, and I think hopefully open up the diversity of the meta even more. I think um, an Obsidian Hellrunner Swarm is a great counter to the list because it's going to knock down a, a Y-Wing before they even get a chance to fire. Uh, I think that high-PS Arc Dodgers with boost and auto-thrusters are a pretty good counter because they can either get to range one or just... Uh, you know, rely on that auto thrusters die to shrug off attacks. I think that's a, a pretty good counter. And then there's just sort of raw efficiency counters. I think four B wings and a Z95 is as long as you can keep your arcs on the enemy most of the time, you should win that engagement just through sheer firepower and raw stats. It is a strong card though, so I've been wrong before. I think it's going to play a major and probably permanent part of the meta, but I don't know that it's going to require the sort of um, you know, drastic errata action that the Phantom did to keep things balanced. The Phantom was exceptionally frustrating because it didn't play according to any of the rules of the game. You could alter your plan after you'd seen everything and dodge arcs excessively well. The twin laser turret is yoked to something that is either very expensive, a la the K-Wing, or extremely slow, low pilot skill, unless you're willing to shell out the points for it, limited dial and no, you know, booster barrel roll. I mean, a Y-Wing or a Hawk might be able to shoot 360 degrees at range two to three, and it might be able to to ping away at you, but you're not going to be that surprised by where it's going. So I think good players will not have the same problems facing a TLT Swarm as they did facing a Phantom, because uh, no matter how good you were, the Phantom could just get out of there. Uh, A a Y-Wing is not the same thing and they have they have one agility they have a lot of they have a lot of um, counterbalance i think to, to having that powerful card and they're pretty expensive you can only fit four of them into a list and you only have four points left for uh, for upgrades so i think it's going to be a strong list i think people are going to pretty quickly figure out ways around it one thing i've been running lately just to finish out my thought on this um prince shizor with auto thrusters and sensor jammer is basically immune to twin laser turret uh He's so unbelievably good against it that it's almost not even worth shooting him with it. And then if you shoot him with other things, he can splash his damage around. So I've been having some success personally with that route. I think people will find solutions, hopefully. Um, but if not, you know, there's always there's always other steps that can be considered in that in that. Speaking respect. of other steps, let's. You mentioned the Phantom nerf. You guys did. That's probably about the most dr- drastic errata we've seen 
in X-Wing. How do you, looking back, how do you feel about that change? Are you happy with that? Um, with what you did? I, I am, but I mean, I'm just, I mean, it was, must have been, uh, a little bit of, of a thing to go through all of that, right? Yeah, it was. I mean, the change was the result of a lot of playtesting and a lot of thought. And uh, I am actually very happy with it because I think there was one major problem that I saw with the Phantom. It wasn't its defense dice. It wasn't its attack dice. It, it wasn't It wasn't those things. It was its ability to have unprecedented sort of situational awareness. Um, basically, the decloak at, at pilot skill timing window really just gave it the, the phenomenal, you know, meta-dominant power that it had. And the, the change has been drastic in terms of the way it has changed the ship. But in terms of uh, mechanics, it's an incredibly simple change. Mm-hmm. We just moved the timing window of the decloak from pilot skill to the beginning of the activation phase. So actually, even though it's a, a major gameplay change, mechanically, it was an incredibly simple change. Mm-hmm. And that was, I think, what made it so attractive to me when we tested out the new version. I was like... This solves a lot of the issues with it. I think this brings it to a more balanced place without really changing the fundamental nature of the ship at all. Just changing a single timing step really solved the issue. So I was very pleased that we were able to make that change so simply. And I've been pleased to note that the Phantom's no longer dominating the meta, but it has not completely disappeared. You, you see Phantom lists winning major tournaments. Will it win a Nationals, a Worlds? Who knows? But it is a strong choice. It's just very, very, very skill dependent now. Whereas, yeah, you've got to guess right with it, which I think is that's been about the game the entire time. And that's the heart of the game. Yeah, you should always have to guess right and predict your opponent's moves and plan ahead. You should. It kind of had a get out get out of jail free card in that it could decide to abort if the plan that it had plotted, you know, the old Phantom, if the plan that it had plotted, you know, was no longer viable, it could just go a different direction. And I, that was never really the intention of the ship. And so now it's it's functioning in a much more balanced way and in, in a way that um, is intended, and it was always intended to function as. And I think that the community reaction has been really positive, too. So I would say that, by and large, I'm very happy with, with that change. We don't want to do that often, but I think in the Phantom's case, it was warranted, and I'm pleased with the result. So are there anything else that you're kind of uh, keeping an eye on? I, 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 this kind of answers the question, just because we had the uh, FAQ come out with the large ship uh, point scoring. But um, is there anything that uh, else that you guys are, are looking at uh, that you might want that, that I don't know. I'm just curious if, if there's other things that you're at least kind of like, I got my eye on you, kid, you know, that sort of cards like that. Sure. Yeah, I think the large ship, too, was a reaction to the um, dominance of sort of two ship builds for the last year or so. Uh, And again, that was a a change that we considered very carefully and we thought long and hard about before instituting. There's nothing currently that worries me the way that those two things did uh, or, or that has, you know, had time to worry me, I guess is what I'm saying. I definitely have my eye on twin laser turrets. Uh, It'll be really interesting to see how those play out. But I don't think that there's anything out there that that makes me um, trepidatious in the same way that the Phantom did. Um, But we'll see. I mean, I think that that all this new content is so fresh and and hasn't really had time to... to, Because you never know... Yeah, there's so much new stuff right now. You know, we playtested extensively and exhaustively, and we try to think about every interaction, but... You know, we're we're a handful of uh, designers and maybe a couple hundred playtesters, whereas when it filters out to the broader community, now you have thousands, possibly hundreds of thousands of people playing it. 
And that's just a much bigger pool of people who are going to find interactions that you didn't foresee. Uh, so I think I'll probably know more about what is, you know, king of the meta in a few months after Worlds or even in, you know, six months once we really see people have a chance to crack this stuff open and, and build lists with it. All right. And we'll tell. So I've got one question for you about uh, the, what, uh, what is it, the Karax? How do you pronounce that? I've been saying Karax. Okay, Karax. Know if it has an official pronunciation. A lot of the stuff that you're comes the from- closest that we've ever come to it. So I say seek and I say Kirax. I don't know if that's right. Okay, so <laughs> we'll, we'll go with your pronunciation for now because I, I, I don't know. So the Kirax, right? The PS9 pilot is Talon Bane Cobra, right? Yes. All right, so <laughs> I, I have to ask you this: Have you been to Talon Bane Cobra's Wikipedia page? I have. It's pretty brief, huh? Yeah. It, so, Man's how, an enigma, so how, how is it that uh, the Imperial, <laughs> the Imperial pilot is this legendary, the PS9s are Darth Vader in the movie is considered to be one of the best pilots ever, right? They mentioned that. And then, then soon tier fell is an, you know, an EU legendary pilot. Like you said to be the equivalent of wedge Wedge is one of the uh, wedge and Han are you two PS9 pilots for the rebels. But there's this guy whose name is Talon Bane on the scum in his one in, in his, I think, three lines of Wikipedia. He's mentioned that he dies. So his, <laughs> one of the main points of the character is, is he dies. Is there was there a problem finding PS9 pilots or, or what was with the decision to make that guy PS9? Well, part of it was uh, mechanically related. I think we had him in sort of a wedge role, and he was functioning much better at PS9 than PS8. Mm-hmm. And, but part of it, too, is he is this sort of ludicrously named pilot. He's a bit of an enigma. And uh, he, is, he is billed as the Black Sun's top ace fighter. So there is some... There is some uh, you know, in Galaxies, he's supposed to be this uh, you know, super tough, super badass dude. Mm-hmm. So I thought we had some wiggle room to to kind of make him this man of mystery. And I just, I love the name so much. It's so silly. <laughs> and, so, and my own headcanon for him, because very little exists for this guy. My own headcanon for this dude is like, Talon Bane Cobra is not a man. <laughs> it is a name that gets passed along from ace to ace. Like the, the top ace of the Black Sun is always Talon Bane Cobra, like no matter what. I so like of course, completely my own, you know, uh, headcanon for this dude, but I think because he is such a blank slate, you can kind of do whatever you want with him in your own head. So that was kind of uh, that was kind of a funny a funny thing. We'll see, you know, we'll see what pilots come out for the scum in sort of the new canon. But if you look at the old canon, uh, if you put Boba at Boba Fett at eight, and you know Shizor at seven, and that kind of thing, they don't they don't really historically have anyone. Yeah. Like there's not a lot left. Yeah. So I figured with Talon being, he's a bit of a blank spit. I always knew that I wanted Dengar to be PS nine. Cause he's always been sort of the dark Han. Yeah. He's cybernetically enhanced. He was an elite swoop racer. You know, he only lost the fight to Han because Han cheated basically. Uh, so he makes sense for a PS nine, but for the, you know, the scums, other PS nine to date, I thought Talon being Cobra, you know, as good a place as any really uh, for someone, because you can't uh, overwrite, 
canon characters or, or, or popular characters like Shizor. Like if he had come out PS9, that would have been a little weird because I don't think anyone would believe that he's a, the equal of, of Vader or Wedge or that sort of thing. But if it if it is a character with a sketchy and thin background, you can kind of justify it by like, who knows? Who knows about Talon? <laughs> who knows? Maybe he is. We don't know. <laughs> um, That's the story of Talon, babe. Before we go into the the new wave, just because I uh, I do want to talk about this, uh, just because once again I, I have the opportunity and I have to talk about it, I have to talk about the great Mustachio Horton Psalm and how once again he would be so awesome if he had an elite pilot talent. When are you going to give it to me, Alex? I need it. <laughs> we already did R two D six. Yes, but that costs a point. I need it. I just need it native. Some dude, some bro on scum just gets a pilot talent and my man Horton, the greatest Y wing, a pilot of all time has to get a droid to make him an elite pilot. I'm doing, <laughs> you can't see me, but I'm doing air quotes right now. That's ridiculous. I want it. You need well, to I, give it to me. I think that if we were to redo the, um, the, you know, the, the wave one Y wings, it would not be unreasonable to give Horton an EPT, but um, I'm afraid the man's going to have to be happy with uh, that TLT for now. I will He's say this. He's going to have to be happy with his epic mustache. Unbelievably good on Horton. I think we're actually going to see some Horton. I hope so. Uh, he has not been a competitive force for a very long time, but I think with Twin Laser Turret, we are actually going to see a case for uh, Horton Song, which is pretty awesome. I brought him to Worlds and he was he was okay. Like it just unfortunately I, I, at the time there was so many so much fat fat hand it was hard to deal with. Right. Well, TLT on Horton is pretty excellent against uh, Fat Han Solo, so maybe uh, give him another try one of these days. The great Mustachio, he'll live again. Um, so uh, let's talk about Wave Eight. Wave Eight is now the new new hotness. All right. We thought it was the new hotness, and then we had our emergency birthday present of uh, <laughs> of uh, the new core set. Uh, we've got Wave 8. We've got a bunch of new ships, which, I mean, is super, super fun. Um, we've got some more bounty hunters. What was – what's this – what's the, the the goal for this wave? I know you, you, everything's not spoiled yet, so – we can, we can, we don't have to be necessarily specific, but what's the goal of the, of this wave? Sure. Well, I think um, this wave again is sort of divided into two distinct uh, things. I mean, you have what is essentially the completed bounty hunters from Empire Strikes Back with uh, Dengar and Zakus and Four LOM, mm-hmm. uh, which again, so thrilled that I was able to work on. You know, all but the all really all but the fire spray and even. Even the fire spread, I got to do the new Boba Fett. So I've been able to, to work on the scum factions, um, all of the principal bounty hunters from Empire Strikes Back. So that's been an enormous amount of fun. I'm looking forward to uh, Epic Play being able to bring just all the all the dudes from that, you know, in one big, sexy list. Mm-hmm. So I, again, it helps round out the scum faction. The, the G1A Starfighter is a nice, you know, medium price, very tanky, B-Wing-esque ship. Yeah. The Jumpmaster 5000, that's their, you know, with the Punishing One title, that's their uh, primary weapon turret kind of arc dodging ship with some some of its own tricks. So again, it rounds out the Scum Faction. I think by the time Wave 8 is out, uh, the Scum will be pretty much on the level of the, the Rebels and the Imperials, at least in ship count, not necessarily in you know number of pilots available. But they're going to be a very robust, uh, very diverse faction. So that, that's sort of the Scum half of the equation. 
the other half is like it's been really exciting to work on Rebels content. Yes, right. Visitor and you get the ghost. Like I've really enjoyed that show. Uh, and it looks like season two is going to be even better than season one, at least if the uh, Siege of Lothal episode is anything to go on. So that was super cool. It was it was the first chance that I had to um, to really work on a ship that had a lot of reference material. And, you know, like I, I watched this season a, a bunch of times and I watched uh, footage of the ghost and really tried to think about, you know, how it would translate to the game of X-Wing. So it was very cool it was very cool to translate something that is like current and modern and, and out there and, and full of content into the game. And it was really fun to work on all the crew members of the show too, and try to have their pilot abilities reflect their traits and that kind of thing. So I think really wave eight and this new core set mark uh, a resurgence for X-Wing because uh, we're still going to dip into the EU and we're still going to do some classic cool ships from from the extended universe. But now we're also finally seeing new canon stuff. And that's a first for X-Wing and a very cool first, if you ask me. And in, in our last interview, you kind of described how those get chosen. Essentially, you get told uh, you're doing this ship. Um, but uh, once again... You know, I used to play this game called uh, TIE Fighter, and there's this ship called the Assault Gunboat. <laughs> we're ready. You know, I'm ready for it. Um, so, yeah, we got, we've got the... Yeah, exactly. Um, I have a, a question for you regarding the Ghost and the Houndstooth and the idea that these ships can essentially break apart and be two different ships or, you know, undocking the Nashtaz pup from the Houndstooth. How, how did you come up with how that was going to run? And because they both run, I imagine they run similarly. I don't want you to spoil anything that you don't, that you can't with the ghost, but they're, they're at least similar in that a tiny ship comes off of a big <laughs> ship, right? I mean, that's not too far. Yeah, no, I can talk about it certainly a little bit. Um, you know, a lot of the things that we do in X-Wing are informed by the source material. Mm-hmm. Um, with the Nashtop pup, when we were doing our research for the YV-666 and particularly for the Houndstooth, we had read about this. You know, um, the sources varied as to whether it was a Z-95 or a custom ship or what have you. But the concept of an escape ship for the Houndstooth was very much... Uh, something that existed in some of the old West End games and some of the old fluff for the thing. And it just sounded cool. You know, we're always on the lookout for cool new mechanics. So the Houndstooth is a bit of a trial balloon for how that kind of thing might work. And we, you know, we wrote it into the game. We realized it worked quite well. And we shortly thereafter found out we were going to have a couple more opportunities to explore that with the Gazanti and with the with the Ghost. So... You know, those are a little bit different, though, because whereas the the Nashtop Pup was always this escape hatch kind of like emergency thing, the Ghost and the Gazanti are both designed to, to be carrier ships and carrier ships into battle. So the template that we established for the way undocking and deployment will work is, is the same, but we tweaked some of the, the other rules to, to function as more of a mid-battle kind of planned assault deployment thing, and I think that it works well. Um, one of the things that the Nashtop pup can't do is attack when it is deployed because it's it's in, you know it's an emergency situation. The guy's probably too busy not blowing up to really focus on combat. But of course, uh, the Tie Fighters and, and whatever else carried by the Gazanti and the, the Phantom, they're going to go into battle locked and loaded and ready for combat. So 
I think you'll be uh, pleased with some of the, the variations on the way that docking works for those ships. I think it's a lot of fun. It's not a, you know, it's not a, a crazy change to the game, but it is, it's a way to protect fragile ships until the critical moment. And I think it's, it's just a blast to, to be like, okay, now my, my ships pop off my other ship and enter the battlefield. So the cool <laughs> factor is pretty high, if nothing else. It's like the guy from, uh, Monty, Pi- or, or from Monty Python, he's not dead. Right, exactly. Yeah. I'm feeling better. <laughs> I was playing a game today, and uh, my coworker Max blew up my uh, houndstooth. And at this point, it looked like he was winning, but I was like, "All right, well, here comes Nash that pup." And he's like, "Ah, oh, I forgot about that thing." So it's kind of funny because that game had been going on for like an hour at that point, uh, and I had kind of forgotten about it too. I'd set it off to the side, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I actually have another ship. That's pretty cool." All <laughs> <laughs> right. So- so, yeah. speaking about the ghost, so when I was at Worlds, you had the, the unpainted demo models, the, the prototyping models. Right, out. yeah, the printed stuff. Right. The most notable thing about it was, first, it's huge. but It is, it is unbelievably huge. It is, it is uh, straining the large ship base to its absolute limit, I think. It is a beast of exactly. a ship. And uh, I kind of wanted to ask you about, uh, because you had a different connector there that we hadn't seen before, certainly to to give it more structural support. But can you talk a little bit about that and whether we're going to see it in other uh, large ships and if it works better than the previous flimsy pegs? Uh, I I can say that that it has been custom and specifically designed for the Ghost. Um, Okay. But, you know, we're another comparably sized beast to, to uh, emerge. We could certainly reuse the concept. It's basically a tripod uh, versus a, a single peg. And it, it was necessary for the sheer scale of the ghost. Um, of course. But in, in general, if we can use the original system, we're going to stick with the original system, I think. Uh, but you never know. You never know what's in the, uh, what's in the works and what might come out. Um, we're as much in the dark as most people are when it comes to like the Rogue One movie. And really, most of the Episode 7 movie is, is still a mystery to us. So we don't know what's on the horizon. It's very possible that we'll, that we'll need to uh, come up with something creative again in that respect. We'll have to see. Rogue One, of course, you don't know yet, but I got to imagine a movie about like starfighters is got to have something cool that's going to come I out about. I don't know. It, I think it's I think it's such a mystery right now because it yeah. could also be like a team of commandos. It could be really anything. Mm-hmm. I know as much as the general public does, which is to say very little. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, I'm I'm I have my fingers crossed for starfighters. That that's uh, makes my job easier. Yeah, I have you know cannon cannon ships coming out that we can write rules for but i think that uh that's just gonna have to wait until the the whole film is a little bit further along before we start finding out anything about that so i do have some questions about uh epic here so we've got we've got uh, you know two imperial ships two rebel ships question there three 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 epic rebel ships now oh epic sorry yeah uh, yeah, there's, there's the, the um, CR9, uh, yeah, CR90 Corellian Corvette and the GR75 Rebel Transport. Yeah. So, so we've got two Rebels and two Imperials. And so, that, so Epic is starting to look more and more healthier. And 
kind of like this mid-range game between Armada and X-Wing, right? Um, is there any, are, are we, so we're going to continue to support Epic though, right? I mean, there's, yeah. there's a clear hole in Epic right now for maybe a certain favorite faction that, uh, you guys designed and named, uh, uh, you know, after maybe a certain famous podcast, <laughs> you know, not like that was coincidence or anything. Um, are you guys going to continue to uh, keep uh, Epic uh, running? Because it seems like it's been the Raiders super, super popular. Everybody loves that. So, and the the cruise, the Gazanti looks awesome. Yeah, no, Epic is definitely not going anywhere. Um, again, I can't talk about future products, but it sure would feel weird for uh, only two factions to get huge ships. Yeah. Um, I will say that the scum have a pretty good uh, jumping in point already because they have so many large ships. And in particular, they have the robots of death. If you've ever run, if you've ever run four IGs in an Epic game, it's pretty equivalent to a Raider or a Sierra <laughs> in, in firepower and survivability, or maybe even more so because they're, they're actually more expensive, but um, yeah, no, Epic's not going anywhere. It's a difficult format to, support competitively but i think it's a fantastic casual format and we're going to continue to support it in every way that we can including competitively but i think it's a great like get together with your friends on a weekend and and throw down this this epic cinematic game and then we're not going to leave this scum out of that if, if i have anything to do with it yeah i uh really like where we're going with the gazanti it just seems super cool getting new tie fighters Oh, the Gazanti is my favorite epic ship by far. I, yeah. I think it's going to be a ton of fun. So, um, I've, I've, I've heard this and I've, and, I, and I'm relatively certain it's true, but it is so cool that like it, you're, we can actually hold TIE fighters in the cruiser, right? Yeah. It'll, you can actually take your TIE fighters right out of the package and with no alterations, attach them to the docking clamps on that model. It's so cool. So say, for example, that my TIE fighters have broken so many times, I don't know what's wrong, <laughs> which one's which anymore. Um, <laughs> is there at least a little bit of give for those poor guys? Um, well, the, the ships are pretty, I mean, if you, if you have like a different system, like magnets or whatever, that'll work just as, as well. All it is, is a, you, you know, um, the peg where the at, the, at the bottom of the TIE fighter. Yeah. How that clips into the, the peg on the, on the ship stand. Mm-hmm. That's all it is in the docking clamp. It's oh, cool. just a little, it's just a little uh, peg so that when you put your TIE fighter in there, it will uh, attach to it just like it would attach to your normal uh, ship peg. That's pretty cool. I like so that. similarly, if you're, if you have replaced that with magnets or brass rod or whatever, the uh, the docking clamps are detachable, the the clamps themselves, so they should be very easy to custom modify in, in whatever way you see fit. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a hobbyist dream, actually. That Speaking of those, what is the what is your favorite uh, ship mod you've seen for an X wing uh, ship? Oh, uh, there's so many good ones. I think my favorite though is the uh, the Star Viper with the folded down wings. That just looks so cool. Yeah, with the gun swiveled back and the wings folded. I saw one that's functional. I saw one that you can. Uh, open up and unswivel the guns. And that to me has got to be the, because you're working at such a tiny scale. Like that's just an impressive conversion. That's probably my favorite, but I've seen a lot of good ones. So uh, let's see here, guys, do you have any other questions for Alex? Cause I've got, uh, I've got like one more and then we're, we can, we can let this poor man go. Yeah. I think I've, I've got maybe, maybe two more questions. Yeah. I've got one. Okay. Are you willing to come back? Cut back on, uh, on the, on the show. podcast. 
on oh to come back oh to come back on the show yeah of course <laughs> yes See you guys yeah, I mean, we're, I think that uh, eventually we're just going to, you know, we're going to have you on so many times, we're just going to make you <laughs> a co-host. Um, all right, so, yes, that's good. So, Holonet, uh, we've, we've Alex Davey confirmed, 10 out of 10. Um, so, um, I've got one other question for you. Um, you're a game designer, right? Um, of course, right? That's what you're here. That's <laughs> ridiculous. Um, what other yeah, games? No, what, yeah, no, what other, what are games? Salt, uh, very long yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, right into my hand. Really, Frank and James have been doing all the work and they just hired me to talk. Um, so, uh, what other games are you playing right now that you're enjoying? I just started playing, uh, Infinity, which is a really interesting miniatures game. My, my main, uh, outside, well, the, the game that got me into, the, the hobby was actually really into miniatures gaming, at least in my adult life, was uh, Warhammer Fantasy. And that is, uh, that is no longer really a, a supported game. So one of the things that's been interesting with that is it's kind of been liberating in a way. It's, it's encouraged me to go and check out um, other stuff that I've, that I've heard about. And so I'm currently playing a lot of Infinity and losing a lot, but learning a lot about the system. It's a very... It's a very different approach to a miniatures game, and, and I'm, I'm very intrigued by it so far. I'm really enjoying it. I'm really excited to eventually get my copy of Forbidden Stars because I really like that kind of. Um, I mean, I I like war and conquest. That's <laughs> so. Are you primarily <laughs> a uh, a board gamer and miniatures gamer then, or do you do RPGs or video games? Uh, I do play uh, the occasional video game, but I just find that I don't have a ton of time for it. Mm-hmm. My my kind of enduring. Game gaming loves are currently Netrunner because I've always loved card games and I I really think Netrunner is is maybe the best CCG slash LCG style card game of all time. It's my favorite by far. Um, so I I, I, play that. I I have it, but I still haven't it's opened it up yet. I'm so it's genius. It's genius on so many levels. I can't even begin to explain it. Like Richard Garfield is an amazing designer, and Lucas took the framework that Garfield built. And just made this absolutely stunning game. So it's it's a phenomenal card game. I think I think it's a history making card game. And so I, I played a ton of that. Uh, I played Armada. I really enjoy Armada. Uh, it's a nice break from the kind of skirmish based stuff. Um, video games like I'm still playing Dark Souls two, so I'm way behind on video games. Yeah, you're still getting punished by Dark Souls two. <laughs> yeah, I am. I really am. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> Such an old school game. All right, well that's cool. I was just curious what kind of games you played. Um, I play some Hearthstone, get some gold. I've got I've got Hearthstone. I should get your <laughs> after I'm, after we're done. I should get your battle tag and smack you around. Uh, actually, I'm horrible. I don't even buy like packs or anything. No, I don't either. <laughs> I, I, I build cheap decks yeah. that, that can still sort of win. So. Yeah. All right. Well, um, dude, thanks for coming on. We really appreciate uh, every time you come on, and, and and I'm glad that we timed it when we did because we got to cover a ton of awesome stuff. Yeah, I'm. Uh, my throat's going to be sore after <laughs> I'm talking so much. <laughs> yeah, well, so uh, thanks for coming on, uh, Galactic Holonet. We've had Alex Davey, um, the lead designer of X-wing, a friend of the show. We're going to call him from here on out. And uh, thank you for listening in. Good hunting, guys.